Hey, I'm Jeffrey Rickman, and this is Plain Spoken. This is a project I started a few months ago to try and make sense of the United Methodist Church. I'm a conservative clergy trying to uh, do some sense-making and offering that to fellow conservatives as well as liberals who want to be in good dialogue with people who see things differently. I've, uh, I've done a lot of work up until this point to know what's going on, and so I'm going to reference a lot of videos that I produced beforehand, especially around the topic of African United Methodism. That's what this particular episode is going to be about. There are three articles that um, all kind of chronicle what's going on right now in the international conversation that impacts Africa. And so I'm, I'm going to direct you to a series of interviews that I've conducted in the African interview series on my page in which um, I've done my best to kind of understand the dynamics at play of neocolonialism and racism and how finances and power overlap with that, map onto that. Um, so I, I'm, I'm going to direct you to my screen here where I've got um, three different articles pulled up. And I've already reported on the one that you see on the screen here. This, these are all by UM News. This one was written by Jim Patterson on March 3rd, Group Plans for Budget Cuts, Regionalization. I covered that on my last weekly news update, which was on March 10th. And uh, so you can go back and, and look at that. In that one, the connectional table was was uh, politely disagreeing with CFNA, uh, GCFNA about uh, budget reduction cuts that they're saying need to happen. Connectional table was entering into the conversation saying, oh, no, we think we can do less. And the G GCFNA was like, well, you know, we receive input from all kinds of so uh, sources, but, uh, you know, the numbers look like this to us. But that was tied to a larger uh, story of the connectional table meeting and then the standing committee on central conference matters. These two committees have now banded together to present legislation resembling uh, the Christmas covenant uh, to the general conference next year. Now, if you haven't watched my previous reporting, the, the Christmas covenant is legislation put forward um, ostensibly by authors that are not located in North America, but are instead from the Philippines and Africa and Europe, where they uh, uh, are not Americans and they represent non-American interests. And what they have recommended is that we uh, somewhat uh, create autocephalous United Methodist churches that are united in some budget, some mission, but largely can govern themselves regionally. Now, the language around that has been so that we can avoid colonialism and the domination of American voices over these, these other voices, but what, what really is at play is the institution is ready to liberalize the human sexuality stance, and they are um, willing to do that um, using the system by, by kind of separating those voices that would otherwise correct them. Um, and so uh, the, the other articles we need to look at are International Group Pursues Regionalization and um, Plan to Add Five African Bishops Faces Challenges. Now, the previous article, uh, International Group Pursues Regionalization, this is by uh, a gentleman in, in uh, Braunfels, Germany, Klaus Ulrich Ruoff, and um, he, he reports on the meeting on the SCCCM. And one of the things that he details in that is that in the end, they did decide to recommend combined legislation with the connectional table aimed at something like the Christmas covenant. We'll see what it is when it comes around. But essentially, um, it says there was only one abstention 
and the rest was a unanimous vote. And that can look like, um, you know, this, the connectional table, the Council of Bishops, they do this stuff frequently where they try to create an artificial sense of unanimity um, in committees. And uh, if you think that that's genuine, I would just go ahead and point you to the interview I did with Joe DiPaolo. He uh, served on the General Commission for Central for General Conference, I think is what it's called. But he talked about how it was that they tried to manufacture consent in that uh, board meeting. I, I've I have spoken with someone. I don't want to betray confidence, but I have spoken with someone on the Standing Committee for Central Conference Matters who very much felt uh, put upon by Western powers, European and American powers, to uh, get with the program while they were meeting in Braunfels, Germany. So anyway, I, I, I didn't want to belabor this article too much. It, it mostly uh, recapitulates things that we already knew. But on, on this one, the, the portion that I highlighted is something that conservatives need to be prepared to reckon with, namely um, the Connectional Table and SCCCM uh, have looked at addressing what many United Methodists deem an inherent weakness in the denomination's current organization, namely that no structure exists to deal with matters solely related to the United States. The result is that General Conference ends up being largely dominated by U.S. issues and debates. Now, something that conservatives would uniformly be on, on board with is saying we should not turn General Conference into something focused on us. Um, something that is regularly leveled against Americans is that we make everything about us, and I think that is spot on and worthy of correction. But the answer is not creating an autocephalous or uh, an independent American church that can just do more navel-gazing. Rather, um, the, the challenge before us, and this is endemic of the whole culture of the United Methodist Church, there are clearly some moral failings on our part that we should take care of, but it's as though uh, we've just precluded the possibility that we are going to make moral decisions if we have the power not to. So we're just going to remove, ostensibly, we're just going to remove uh, the option of, of behaving immorally. So we dominate things whenever we're gathered with others. So instead of like uh, uh, censuring ourselves, instead of correcting ourselves and shutting up more and listening, or shutting up more and listening more, yeah, talking less, um, instead of doing that, how about we just create another level of um, Americans getting to listen to ourselves talk and not deal with the Africans and Filipinos so much? It is a, a decision made in the wrong direction. And it isn't, you know, as you look at the interviews I did with, say, Ande Emanuel, and, and other people sympathetic with the Christmas covenant, all of them are generally tired of hearing Americans continue to sway things to our issues and what we want. Um, but the answer there is more humility from us and more leadership from them. But that is not what we're talking about. And so the bulk of what I wanted to talk about today is this article that got me pretty worked up, the plan to add five African bishops faces challenges. Um, this also is written by the same author, Klaus Ulrich Rolf, from, uh, and I'm sorry, I'm butchering the German name, from Braunfels, Germany. Um, and uh, I, I want to actually read through this one so you see kind of how warped the, the state of mind is of those in leadership because they are seriously considering reneging on commitments to the African United Methodist Church because uh, things are falling apart. 
And so, um, you know, it's, it's like Kramer in Seinfeld when he makes a bet with Jerry and he starts losing the bet. Finally, he just says, bet's off. And, and Seinfeld says, you can't call the bet off because you're losing. That's the whole point of a bet. And, um, but that's, that's what leadership here is doing. So let's, let's walk through this. Um, all right, so an international group of United Methodist leaders has worked on plans to add five more bishops to the African continent, increasing the total from 13 to 18. Great, it's needed. If you're not aware, uh, African United Methodism is growing exponentially. They're doing very well. As North American United Methodism falls apart and people are running for the doors as they have been, I think we've been losing on average 200,000 members a year. Uh, they're adding at least that much in Africa. Um, however, those plans are now facing strong headwinds as the United Methodist Church grapples with reduced finances and rising church disaffiliations in the United States and the departures of annual conferences in Eurasia. At the same time, church leaders agree the need continues to be great for more Episcopal leadership on a continent where the church is growing. During the meetings in Brownfels, uh, its meeting in Brownfels, the Denomination Standing Committee on Central Conference Matters discussed the challenges facing its Africa Comprehensive Plan that includes the five new Episcopal areas. The group is a permanent committee of the General Conference, the denomination's top lawmaking assembly that works with central conferences, church regions in Africa, Asia, and Europe. So that's the SCCCM, that's the body I've been talking about that's working with the connectional table to institute something like the Christmas Covenant. At the 2016 General Conference, the Standing Committee asked for and received authorization to work with the African church leaders to develop a comprehensive plan for where Central Conference and Episcopal area lines should be drawn. In 2019, the Standing Committee approved submitting legislation to the coming uh, General Conference that it passed would bring that plan into fruition, increasing the African Central Conferences from three to four and allowing for the addition of five bishops. Now, you can be sure if they got more Episcopal representation, if they got more, uh, that that would translate to more legislative representation. And this is what everybody's seen coming for a long time, the ascendancy of Africa and the demotion of America. And we could have a gracious attitude of they must increase while we decrease. That's the language of John the Baptist for Jesus, of course, whenever his ministry was taking off. That is not the attitude that we're seeing. Rather, we're seeing the attitude of money's tight and we don't want to share as much of it with Africa. Rather, we're kind of inclined to hold on to it and spend it on ourselves. That's exactly what's going on here. However, the COVID pandemic has delayed General Conference from 2020 to 2024, and a great deal has changed since the Standing Committee received its mandate from General Conference delegates to develop the plan seven years ago. Although the Standing Committee expressed broad commitment on comprehensively strengthening the church on the African continent, the members heard about three critical impacts on their plan. So one is disaffiliations. Um, before we go any further, it's worth asking why it is that things have maintained the status quo of having far too few bishops on the African continent. And part of it is that North Americans have been reluctant to share our money in ways that would result in more African power, as I just talked about. Part of it is also that African Episcopal power has gotten used to being kind of monolithic. And whenever you talk to, to African United Methodists behind closed doors, the, the general impression seems to be that a lot of those bishops have gotten pretty comfortable 
um, holding the power that they do. There are a number that should have retired before now, but just have chosen not to. There were Episcopal elections that they should have held during this last quadrennium that they just chose not to. Um, when you're looking at the incentives in place, there's a lot to be said for um, the Africans wanting to hold on to the power structure as it is rather than to continue to divide and share authority and structure. So one of the things that I've had to reckon with as I've uh, been researching African United Methodism is they are just as prone to uh, see financial realities as we are and to potentially be corrupted by them. Now, I, I don't want to construe that into saying all of the African bishops are corrupt, power-hungry, money-hungry. I'm, I'm not saying that. But I am saying that those concerns for power and money definitely seem to have affected things on the African continent in ways that kind of create this interesting, uh, unfortunate synergy with North American interests that are wanting to kind of uh, create uh, an more independent African Methodism and uh, independent North American Methodism, there's kind of a, a wink, wink, hey, you guys could hold on to a lot more of your authority if you let us focus on ourselves more and on you guys less. Um, and if you kind of scratch our back over here by kind of advocating for the Christmas covenant, then maybe we can scratch your backs too and kind of turn a blind eye to some of these um, accusations being made and and you know, some of these clear improprieties about not following the Book of Discipline. Maybe we can turn a blind eye to that and um, you know, let you continue to govern how you see fit, and you will let us govern how we see fit, and it'll work out just fine. And then it's just kind of uh, daring people like you and me who just have an eye on these things to go, are we really going to let this happen and not say anything about it? All right, let's get back into the article. Um, the first of those impacts are disaffiliations from the United Methodist Church after decades of intensifying debate about the status of LGBTQ people in Christian life. That's uh, not exactly what the conflict is. The question is, are uh, sexual acts outside of uh, uh, complementarian male-female marital relations, are those sin or not? That's where the conversation is, and stuff like this continues to try and turn it into an identity issue, and people like me categorically refuse to acknowledge identities um, that are based on sin outside of Christ Jesus. And so that's where the breakdown is. And, and you just have to be wary of articles written like this that just slide liberal theology into its presuppositions so that the conservative perspective becomes inconceivable, uh, just unimaginable, regardless of what the Bible says. Uh, we're going to be a smaller church with less financial capacity than before, the Council of Bishops President Thomas Bickerton told the community. But smaller does not necessarily mean a smaller missional imprint and impact. I don't know how he says this. You know, mission is undergirded by dollars, and when you're getting less dollars, that means less mission. Now, that doesn't mean less mission is happening overall. One of the things that, that uh, Bishop Bickerton and others have done is saying, as these churches continue to divide, there will be less mission, uh, and that's not true. It's just going to be less mission under the United Methodist umbrella. But congregations that are leaving are still going to participate in mission, perhaps more. You know, a, a lot more is probably going to go to those who actually need it rather than um, can, continuing to, to pay for a huge bloated bureaucracy. Um, okay, so, uh, so far more than 2,070 congregations in the U.S. have received the necessary approvals 
to leave the denomination with property under paragraph 2553, the disaffiliation policy attitude, blah, blah, blah. The same general conference also passed a proposal from the standing committee that any legislation passed during the session not take effect until 12 months after the general conference, and that includes paragraph 2553, which is set to expire at the end of this year. So if you're not familiar with what that topic is about, I covered that in actually two different segments on my um, YouTube channel. Let's see. Uh, I, I did talk about Thomas Bickerton's state of the church in this and kind of highlighted some of his undergirding theology that's problematic. But I also, um, let's see, can UMC Central Conferences disaff uh, disaffiliate? That's uh, one that I did after a, a weekly news update where I talked about paragraph 2553. So I, I highlight that not to toot my own horn, but to uh, direct you to resources that I've tried, tried to give people to understand these things. Um, it's going to talk more about this in a second, how outside of the United Methodist Church, or out of the United States, uh, jurisdictional conferences, um, they're not allowing anyone outside of the U.S. area to disaffiliate using paragraph 2553. Um, all right, however, annual conferences and central conferences, okay, that's outside of the United States, have a lengthy multi-step process for becoming autonomous in another part of the discipline, paragraph 572. And I do talk about that in the, the uh, can central conferences disaffiliate um, video that I put together. Now, uh, Bulgaria, Romania already disaffiliated, I think. Uh, they Before any of these pronouncements were made, they just said, we're out, we're leaving and uh, they, they had a really strange um, annual conference that they came together and just said, we're leaving. And I don't know if the general church is honoring that or not. Uh, I don't know if we have any recourse but to. Um, Central and Southern Europe Central Conference, Bishop Patrick Streif explained how the process of leaving the denomination by using paragraph 572. He noted that the discipline currently allows U.S. congregations, not annual conferences, to leave while the opposite is true in central conferences. Under paragraph 572, annual conferences outside of the U.S. have a process to leave, but not individual churches. And then it talks about the particular conferences that are trying to leave using that process. The expectation is that general conference will vote on the annual conference's separation in 2024. I don't know if there's any way that they can get through that convoluted, pro convoluted process within a year. I imagine they'll put them off for another quadrennium, but what do I know? Quote, when one member wants to leave the body, it impacts the whole body, Strafe said. This is why we do uh, this, I think it was supposed to be thorough. Oh, no, do this through a mutual process of conferencing. That, that pretty much means uh, we're, we're going to talk to the people who want to leave and, and let them know if it's really a good idea if they leave. So uh, I'll take that for what it is. The Episcopal Fund covers the cost not only of bishops' compensation. So the Episcopal Fund is one of the, the starred line items and apportionments that has to get paid. Um, so you and I, if you're in a United Methodist Church, has been paying apportionments. We've been paying the Episcopal Fund. Travel and meetings, but also that of the denomination's ecumenical staff and at least some portion of the bishop's office staff. Its revenue comes mainly from the denomination's annual conferences, church regional bodies that each pay apportionments or shares of giving to support the denomination-wide ministries. The conferences in turn ask for apportionments from their local churches. Annual conferences worldwide support 
the Episcopal fund. So what that just said is uh, pretty much all the money, not all, but most that goes to the bishops comes from uh, uh, annual conferences, apportionments that gets universalized. So uh, I've heard it said that that people in my jurisdiction are not paying the salaries of Western jurisdiction bishops that are in open rebellion against the United Methodist Book of Discipline, uh, that we're not funding Bishop Carcano being on ecclesiastical house arrest. That's something that I covered in another YouTube video that you might want to check out. Um, I I'm pretty sure that that's not true. I'm quite certain, according to this, that we're putting it all in a giant pot that all of the bishops get to pull out of. So you and I are funding uh, rogue bishops that are scoffing at the Book of Discipline, and the other bishops that we're paying in other jurisdictions are not doing anything about it. Um, another starred uh, apportionment line, uh, the World Service Fund is the largest general church fund that supports the work of the most of most general church agencies, and its support comes from U.S. annual conferences. So this is talking about essentially um, where our money goes and why it, uh, it, it's going to be difficult for the institution to move enough money around to fund all the African bishops that are needed. The General Council on Finance and Administration, the denomination's finance agency, is projecting that the U.S. church disaffiliations and closures will result in a significant drop in expected giving. So that's what that first article was about that I talked about at the beginning of this video. The Reverend Moses Kumar, he seems like a real solid guy to me, uh, by the way, um, the agency's talk exec executive told the standing committee that with such financial hardships in mind, the agency is preparing to send the coming General Conference, a denomination-wide budget with an overall reduction of 38%. Can you imagine that? That's, that's a huge deal. Um, compared to the budget passed in 2016, the budget would cover general church spending for the years 2025 to 2028 and includes a 20% cut to the Episcopal Fund that supports bishops and about 43% of the World Service Fund, which supports the general agencies. So Kumar said... There will need to be a reduction of bishops worldwide to keep the Episcopal fund solvent. So it's not, I think what this is saying is there's no way to keep the current level of bishops around the connection and then simply add some to Africa. Rather, he's saying there are going to be regions that have to give up some bishops in order to install some new ones in Africa. Now, people like me would say, great, you know, less representation in some areas, more in the ones that are growing. Obviously, the Holy Spirit is moving one place more than the others. Obviously, there's more momentum in one place than the others. We need to do our best to support that. Once upon a time, if you don't know your history, once upon a time, this was a very familiar problem within the Methodist revival movement. There was movement, there was growth going on all over the, the American frontier, and we had to mobilize circuit riders in order to serve all the people and, and, and minister to all of them. And that was a good problem to have. It wasn't one resentful that, uh, uh, in, uh, how would I, I would say, entitled East Coast civilized Methodist resented sending people out West in order to uh, serve and, and grow the church. Rather, they built a whole mission agency and movement around uh, supplying it, funding it, manning it. Uh, we're, we find ourselves with a very different dynamic here where they're just kind of, uh, the impression you get here is that they're kind of stingy. Well, we're not sure we want to give up our, our bishops even though we need them less, even though our region is shrinking. Kumar said, uh, okay, bishops are funded by apportionment, shares of church giving from both the church and the U.S. Central Conferences. However, 
The World Service Fund receives support only from U.S. apportionments. At present, U.S. giving pays for the bulk of denomination-wide ministries, including the bishops. I happen to know for a fact that there have been African voices in particular saying, we would like to put money in this pot uh, for, I don't know, at least a decade. They've been acknowledging that, yes, the money is one-sided. They want to share in the joy and the burden of funding. Why that hasn't happened, I don't know. Um, what happens in northeastern jurisdiction impacts the whole church, said Bickerton, referencing the U.S. jurisdiction where he's a member and leads the New York Conference. What happens in Africa impacts the whole connection. We are interdependent, and our decisions impact those outside of our region, he added. We are used to doing things pretty indep uh, independently, and our current realities require us to work together. Now, that sounds really nice that we've got to work together, but the way he means that is not we have to decrease so they can increase. He's saying they're going to have to uh, deal with us reneging on previous commitments made um, because, you know, these churches leaving and disaffiliating is, is uh, hurting our bottom line. So <laughs> uh, there's Moses Kumar, uh, head of GCFNA. So uh, Bishop Gregory Palmer, who chairs the Standing Committee's Africa Comprehensive Plan team, said that the team still believes in organizing additional Episcopal areas is a key part of the UMC's efforts to draw people to Christ. Quote, from the beginning, the committee saw the goal as missional. How do we increase and make more robust the mission of the UMC on the continent of Africa, said Palmer, who also leads West Ohio Conference. Even with the dramatic changes in the denomination, the team affirmed the continued missional need for additional bishops in Africa, Palmer said. The church needs to find ways to live into the current reality while guided by aspirations. So they're saying, you know, we're, we're not too bad. We're not selling out the goal entirely. We're just reducing it. Um, so really, we're still aspiring. We're still aiming at that. We just really don't think we're going to be able to make it to the degree we committed to. Even with the dramatic change, no, that we just read that. Uh, Palmer said the team is looking at all circumstances to bring a recommendation to the standing committee that does not pit one part of the church against another part of the church. And this whole thing, I, I wrote in the, the margin that it was just a silly inability to reckon with reality. This is what you just have to deal with whenever you're not like the federal government and just printing money all over the place, when you're not just like the United Methodist bureaucracy, just demanding lots of money and, and being pleased with, with your bloated budget. Um, there is no way for everybody to have their way. There has to be compromise. There has to be sacrifice. And that means that some people who've gotten used to money don't get it anymore. That means that uh, some people who, who put a lot of money in the pot don't get to pull it back out. Instead, it goes somewhere else. It means some people who have always had a big uh, role to play, always had a big voice to fill the room, need to uh, take a, a step back and let others step up. And uh, lest I, I forget about it, I want to go ahead and uh, turn to uh, an article that I wanted to make sure I recommended. This is United Methodist Apportionments, A High Price of Staying UMC, written by John Lomparis uh, at the very beginning of this year. And he goes down the line of the different general boards and agencies and how much money some of them uh, get or some of their employees get. Um, but I want to really focus on the bottom. It's a long article. Um, he goes down the line and chronicles how big their staffs are and how uh, many of them are Africans. Now, Africans represent already more than 50% of United Methodists worldwide. And so if you are a good American, you believe in one voice, one vote, 
um, you should be appalled at the state of the United Methodist Church where Africans still don't carry anything close to a majority of the general conference representation. They're still not going to after this next quadrennium, if you can believe it. Um, so when you look at archives and history, they have six staff, zero Africans on staff. When you look at GCFNA, they have 61 staff. Uh, they have uh, 5%, a little over 5% Africans uh, on there. Connectional table, they have four staff, percentage of Africans on the governing board. Okay, they, okay, they have... So I guess he's, there's, there's a governing board and then there's staff, and he doesn't always have the African figures for each one. Okay, this is frustrating and, and convoluted, but the Africans on the governing board is 6.5% for the connectional table, which uh, uh, ostensibly speaks for the entire connection. That's, that's an odd thing. Uh, General Board of Church and Society, 18 staff. The percentage of Africans um, on the governing board is 3.3% and zero on the 12-member executive committee. Um, I'm going to put the link to this article in the show notes. It, it continues on in that way. The African representation is abysmally low. Um, if I was African, I would be very... Uh, prone to cry racism. I, I'd be inclined to cry racism in this particular uh, scenario. I, I don't think it's... Well, okay, what's the difference between uh, racism and ethnocentric um, behavior? This isn't... This is a... This is a class... This is a typically, historically, Western white institution. It seems to me that they're doing a very poor job reckoning with the rising tide of non-white... Uh, majority world Christians, they're not handing over authority and power well, whether it be on the general boards and agencies where Lon Paris chronicles that in that article, or whether we see in uh, the willingness to, to put bishops in place. If I was an African United Methodist, I would feel like this is just openly um, white people trying to maintain, retain authority, power, money, rather than graciously handing it over as John the Baptist uh, did metaphorically to Jesus. Uh, Bickerton told the Standing Committee that efforts are already underway to shore up the denomination's Episcopal Fund. With last year's Episcopal elections in the U.S. jurisdictions, the number of U.S. bishops has already dropped from 47 to 40. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm getting kind of tired of this. What I, what I want to do is just go ahead and skip to the end here where it, um, it presents two different ways of thinking about this where I just wrote seriously to the right-hand column because I just think it shows such a lack of, of real discernment. And so it says, among the, the questions under consideration, one, who needs bishops more, those regions that are growing or those that are struggling? And two, how can United Methodists all come to the table bringing their assets together to invest in their own areas and in each other? And I think that that way of, of presenting things just shows how ridiculous the conversation is because clearly America's not doing well. And I don't think uh, if the assumption is that those place, that there's a causative relationship between how many bishops we put in a place and how well it does, I think we've already disproven that. We've had far more bishops in America than in Africa, yet the growth has been in Africa and the shrinking has been in America. If anything, it looks like uh, bishops have not been helpful, you know. So to continue to slather money all over the Americans while the Africans are are under-administered is is silly. If anything, we should be taking away from America and adding more infrastructure and resources to Africa. 
um, historically, biblically, in, in Methodist history, I hope I've laid out the case, that is the Methodist and that is the Christian way. The notion that we would say, hmm, America's not doing so well. Maybe they need more bishops. Um, it just seems really tone deaf. It, it seems like we're just not even able to diagnose the source of our malady, really. I think it would do us a lot of good to see ourselves less as the center of the story. And now, increasingly, what I would encourage everybody to consider is maybe America's not the center of the story. Maybe it was for a little bit. You know, I love that Methodism grew the way it did here, and I think a lot of amazing things happened. I think it's been a while since we saw much amazing happen in the North American United Methodist Church, but I think the Spirit's doing amazing things in Africa. What if we could consider an image of the church where some of the church is here just to fund the rest of the church? I don't think there's anything wrong with that. America is blessed with great material wealth. We should take great pride in being able to fund these ministries overseas and watching the growth that comes from it. But if you watch interviews with, say, Simon Mafunda or uh, Jerry Kula, uh, uh, these guys that I, that I interviewed on uh, the role of North American neocolonialism, what you will find guys like them saying is whenever they reveal their theological identity, left-leaning American uh, churches and conferences have suddenly stopped funding local missions there because they don't want to support people that don't agree with them theologically. And so that's what I think is behind a lot of this. It's not just the ethnocentrism. It's not just the not wanting to uh, let go of control and power, but it's also really having a distaste for the theology, the theological identity of people in Africa, and not wanting to reward the growth there because the growth is of another theological identity that they find distasteful. They don't like imagining a future of United Methodism that is conservative, evangelical, that is hostile to modern gender theory, that, that preaches biblical holiness and self-denial and sacrifice. You know, these are all things that that a lot of Western United Methodists would like to leave in the past or just treat as metaphors or, or signposts of an ancient era. But these are very much realities in modern Africa. And these are things that they're proudly lifting up to the Western church and saying, hey, you should be like us. And we're saying, no, we don't want to be like you. Rather, let's put you in your corner and us in our corner and let's all just, you know, spend money on ourselves and then, you know, talk about these wonderful missions that we're doing. And the Africans are lovingly saying, uh, no. So there are bishops working in America and in Africa to try and work together, scratch each other's backs. But there are people like me and Absalom Nuhu and other Africans that are talking to each other and just saying, no, we can't participate in a vision of the church that is divided. There is no point in that. And even whenever you look at my interviews with guys that were ostensibly part of the Christmas covenant, uh, those guys don't have a good answer theologically for why it is that we should be divided. The best answer they have is, we're tired of you guys. And biblically, yeah, we tire each other out. Uh, in the church, we're called to love our enemies, and some of our enemies are in the church. That doesn't mean we get to give up on one another. That doesn't mean that we get to uh, regionally isolate from one another or ethnically isolate from one another. Um, the last thing I want to highlight here is that this indicates to me, you know, the fact that this is so seriously uttered uh, when this um, so obviously <laughs> uh, kind of smacks of the, the central jurisdictional conference, you know, uh, an ethnically isolated geographical legislative movement. The fact that we talk about this seriously at this point in history just speaks to um, the success of anti-racism 
within the United Methodist Church. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm not talking about colorblind, um, all races living and worshiping together, the vision of the 1960s civil rights movement. I'm talking about modern anti-racism stemming from people like Ibram X. Kendi, who says that um, humans are intrinsically racist, uh, white people are intrinsically racist, and that the smartest thing that black people can do is get away from them, uh, create uh, black-only spaces, remove white voices from the equation, and that's what the central, uh, or that's what the Christmas covenant plan essentially is. It's saying, oh, you black people, we're just not gonna be good to you, so you go have your own thing over there. We're gonna do what we do over here, and we might share some um, you know, stuff on paper, but really we're just hopeful, hopelessly racist, and you guys would be better off on your own, so you let us do what we do, and you do what you do. And I think that that is just a, a, a cynical uh, vision of the future and of the kingdom and I want nothing to do with it. I want my African brothers and sisters to be able to critique me and my faithlessness. I want them to be able to convict me and my weakness. I want them to minister to me even as I'm funding them. And I think that that's what um, the kingdom on earth looks like. So uh, share your thoughts in the comments. Share this with other people who are concerned with the church not being um, ethnocentric and uh, especially share it with general conference delegates who need to think through this stuff before the legislation is put forward. Uh, I'm getting a call, so I'm going to end this. God bless you for spending time with me. Thanks. See ya.